Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venue Land, an EVMC podcast. Join us for this all-access pass backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live event industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to incredible guests who journey with us as we dive deep into the world of venues, tours, festivals, and everything in between. Grab your laminate and meet us in Venue Land. Today's adventure takes us to Prince George, BC. We're checking in with a man who has been passionate about events and marketing throughout his 35-year-plus career. He's also an author of three books, and he's one of my favorite people. Please welcome the manager of entertainment <laughs> from CN Center, Glenn Mickelson. Glenn, good to see you. Hey, gentlemen. Great to see you, folks. Now, did you put, I know people listening just hear the audio, but did you put on the bow tie just for us, or is the bow tie everyday Glenn wear? Uh, well, it comes and goes, you know, it's part of the, uh, uh, operations around here to get people excited about different things. And sometimes the bow tie is the ticket, <laughs> but for you folks, yeah, that was the thought for sure today. <laughs> Very kind of you. So for folks who are listening, who, who are not familiar with Prince George, you tell us a little bit about where you're at and, and the CN Center. Uh, Prince George is a city of about uh, 80,000 people in Northern British Columbia, uh, it likely is the largest venue in Canada north of Edmonton. So there's a few smaller ones north of us, but between us and the Arctic, uh, we're about the largest venue. Uh, so it's remote. The closest venue of our size is a six-hour drive away. So that's where our hockey team has its closest games, a town called or city called Kamloops. But, uh, you know, for the major cities, like people are probably familiar with Vancouver, Edmonton, uh, it's a nine or eight hour drive for us to get to those communities. So we are kind of uh, the central community in northern British Columbia. And uh, we host uh, people from all over huge geographical range to come to our events in our community. Are you often seeing tours kind of dip up to your venue from Vancouver? Is that kind of like how they'll route up when they'll route sometimes? Or is it kind of speckled throughout like a Canadian tour or does it vary uh, date to date? Uh, the the trick we have to do is we have to convince them to kind of route from southern uh, Canada, British Columbia typically, so they can start in Vancouver, work their way through southern BC, and then entice them to hopefully come up and route through our community so they can stop here and then either head east over to Edmonton, so say Vancouver here, Edmonton, or there are the communities of Dawson Creek and Grand Prairie, which are further north of us, four and a half, six hours away. And sometimes they'll hit our community and then loop up further north and then come back back south into Edmonton or uh, those uh, communities in Alberta. Uh, the rare occasion uh, we have had, for example, of Cirque du Soleil when they came through in 2015, they routed here. And then their next gig was in Fairbanks, Alaska. So uh, that yeah. was uh, like a 24-hour drive from here to get up there. But uh, that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. You talk about Southern Canada. That's such an unusual term for, for us here in the States. 
uh, because we don't we never think of anything in Canada itself. So southern Canada is interesting. You know, so obviously being up a little farther north, weather probably plays a big role in your schedule, right? Yeah, you know, probably we deal with winter. You know, that's a consistent uh, uh, season for us. So, you know, not too far from us. I know they're already they're having a first frost last week. So we won't have mm. that. We'll have that in a, maybe a week or two. It could be freezing already. But, uh, yeah, you know, it can snow here, you know, the end of October and then last till April. So uh, we have a very, you know, robust system within our community to remove snow off city streets because that's something we face consistently throughout the year. Yeah, and you kind of got some neat stuff where you you even host like a, a walking program for residents during the cooler months. Oh, yeah. Well, funny I should ask because so we've got uh, yeah, the walking program, which starts uh, end of October and goes till the same thing, just uh, early April. So that offers people a chance to you know get some free exercise within our concourse. But uh, we've had some inquiries over the last few weeks because we have all this forest fire smoke. So that's a new oh, wow. issue that yeah. we're starting to deal with uh, in the last couple of years. Or people are concerned about having to exercise outdoors in the summertime because yeah. of our smoky conditions. And in fact, as I look outside my window today, uh, we are blanketed in a haze of fire smoke. So that's a new inquiry we're starting to get. So we might be open year round for various reasons. Interesting. You know, you've been there uh, at, the, at the CN Center for a while, but for folks who've never had the chance to be, talk to them a little about the building and, you know, kind of its history in the community and maybe a little bit about the, you know, the kind of events that you host there as well. Uh, you know, it's your typical uh, 6,000 seat arena. So, you know, you're kind of your, uh, you know, from our standpoint, kind of your midsize rink. It was built in 1995. So coming up upon our 30 year anniversary here in a couple of years. And uh, we host a, a junior hockey team. So the Prince George Cougars, that's our main tenants. And they, uh, you know, they try to develop young hockey players to get drafted into the NHL. So uh, some of the players that we've had here are uh, Dustin Bufflin, who won a, uh, he won a Stanley Cup, uh, Brett Connolly as well. And then Zidane Ochera, who, of course, the famous player with the Boston Bruins, uh, he played his junior hockey here. So he was uh, in the mid-90s, he played a year or two here. Uh, but then, you know, we've been very fortunate to, I would say, punch above our weight in terms of uh, attracting various entertainment here. So uh, Elton John, Kiss, Carrie Underwood, Jerry Seinfeld. We've been very fortunate to have quite a range of, you know, world-class entertainers who uh, we've, um, you know, enticed um, through, uh, you know, by hopefully being able to sell the tickets and our capability of getting the job done and making their day go well and some northern hospitality here too so that they feel welcome and you know we've been able to host uh, you know quite a range of uh, world-class entertainers didn't you all have a big curling event there too within the last couple of years and is that something that is common where you'll get kind of some different uh, events like that or is that you know a very unique thing where it kind of travels around uh, Canada and it just so happened to land in Prince George yeah, that's, uh, you know, the curling events, That's those are events that uh, various communities will bid on each year. So they've got, uh, Curling Canada has the uh, men's championship, uh, national championship, which is their uh, premier event, the Briar. They have the women's championship, the uh, Scott Tournament of Hearts, which we've hosted here. But then they also uh, switch between the world men's and the world women's curling championships. 
And curling in, uh, you know, probably in Canada, it's a bigger deal than anywhere else in the world. And uh, we have a very kind of special relationship with that uh, World Women's Curling Championship, which we were all set to host it here in 2020. And it was canceled the day before it was supposed to begin due to the COVID restrictions. So we had yeah. uh, basically every team here except one. Uh, we had the whole building transformed, which is a major undertaking. And then, of course, the, with the rest of the world making those very significant decisions, we were part of those down in the basement of our building and uh, you know, to our shock and uh, <laughs> surprise, that whole event was canceled. But we were fortunate enough that uh, it came back a couple years later and we were able to host it in 2022. Len, have you been able to get down on the ice and try curling? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, and we've got you know uh, you know I know it's not uh, uh, in Canada, right? Most little communities of all shapes and sizes have a curling club, so it's kind of shrunk in popularity as you know time has gone on here in the last twenty years or so. But you can go through some very tiny towns in Canada, especially on the prairies, and you will find a curling club, and that's the hub for people gathering together in the winter. <laughs> That's, That's amazing. Great. I love it. Oh, yeah. People need to check out the video that you all did, too, that was kind of promoting that event when it was coming back, which I think hits on something that I guess I kind of want to ask you about is you are sort of for people that know you and have met you at the conferences, you're sort of known for, you know, wearing these bold outfits, you know, not being afraid to throw on a, a fun hat or something, you know, something to kind of. You know, I, I don't know if that's something you've always embraced throughout your life or career. Is it is it kind of a fun like thing where you see it as like a little self-deprecating and goofy or is it something where you're just embracing? <laughs> I, I love it about you. I think everyone does. You know, one of one of the I think I'd met you before this, but I remember when I was at the Vancouver conference and you were sort of one of our hosts for that. You did the welcome speech and you had just the most wild and amazing outfit on and everything was just so over the top Canadian in the best of ways. And I think it really left this mark in people. And so I do think people, you know, think of you as someone that's like willing to just think of all these creative ideas. Yeah. But in a good way, you know, and not, and you know, it's like, you're willing to just take these fun, goofy risks and think of, okay, why don't we try this? Whereas other people might be like, you know, they're too afraid to, you know, have a little fun with it, you know? Yeah, uh, I appreciate that. That's very kind of you to say that. Uh, yeah, you know, I kind of uh, developed that we are in the fun business. Like we are very fortunate uh, in the positions that we are to bring people together, hopefully for a memorable experience of whatever that can be. And, you know, I think if we can, you know, we have to convince people that it's going to be, a, a, they're going to have a happy, fun time. So you know, if I can do that and share that by at least, you know, maybe being slightly self-deprecating and just, you know, buying into the moment, then, you know, I'm happy to do that. So, yeah, I've been very fortunate to help share my my enthusiasm for what's coming to our community. And, you know, you folks coming to Canada and Vancouver, like, I was just so delighted that you were there that, uh, you know, to help make that even a better experience for you, then uh, I'm happy to do that. You know, you talked a little bit about being the only you know, venue around for, for several hours. 
Um, so what is a, you know, obviously when you've got a 6,000 seat venue, you're not dealing with a multi-billion dollar marketing budget. So what, how do you make the decisions that like you've got a big Brian Adams tour coming soon, right? Yeah, how are you yeah. making those decisions about how far you go out with marketing? Because I'm sure, like you were saying, you see people drive from great distances to come to your venue. Well, yeah, we like, uh, particularly out West. So this is between, so we're kind of in the center of British complete center of British Columbia. So the west of us, there's a number of communities. So all the way out to a town called Prince Rupert, which is nine hours away. So people will travel from that far because we are the only, we're the largest venue that will have shows that they can drive to. Either there they have to drive here and then down to Vancouver. And in fact, we will have guests that live on these islands called Haida Gwaii, which is another six hour ferry ride from Prince Rupert. So they'll take that ferry ride then they'll jump in their cars or trucks and drive all the way here. So how Man. do we get people here? Yeah, it's, you know, significant distances, but you know, it's just living in the north. You don't uh, you don't blink at those, right? So um, you know, I'd work with different uh, media partners out there. We have uh, there's a First Nations radio station based out of Terrace, which is a seven hour drive out west, and they have all these satellite. Uh, repeater uh, stations in these very small communities all across northern BC. So we work with them for, you know, shows that make sense within their market and their music. And we'll get, you know, help get the word out that way. The other thing, you know, within our region too, we have a significant Indigenous population. So working with the First Nations Radio, um, we will, you know, um, their uh, communities support various artists that we've come through Prince George. So George Thorogood's uh, an act that we were working with them most recently until George got uh, sick this past year and wasn't able to make a show. So, you know, we will partner with uh, media outlets like that. And in fact, our local media stations, too, they have sister stations within other communities around the north as well. And they help get the word out that way as well. It's no small task. Uh, and obviously, you know, you've been, as Paul and I referenced, uh, you know, to a lot of uh, event uh, venue marketing conferences over the years, the EAMC and now EVMC. Uh, you come and you, you see some stuff that, you know, uh, happens, but yet you've, you've stayed in this community for a long time. What is it about, about Prince George you love so much? Well, that's a good question. Because, you know, it's the kind of town that when you first come into it, it's it's a little rough. So it's a northern city, um, and uh, you know that kind of way. Like the architecture, you know, just our climate can be a little tough on uh, outdoor spaces. You know, the um, you know it's a very it's a working class community. There are three pulp mills, so we have a higher concentration of pulp mills than anywhere in the world. Saw mills, so the log industry has taken a bit of a hit. But there's mining, there's pipelines. Anyway, so it's. It's a transient community where people come in, work in the resource industry, and move on. So what's uh, kept us here is that once we kind of figured out, okay, that behind that, there's this amazing access to outdoor experiences. And the other thing, uh, as opposed to some of the other communities I've lived in over the years before we got here, is that because people come and go here quite frequently, that people will embrace you very quickly. So rather than some communities where, you know, it takes time to break into social circles. Here, people say, okay, well, uh, you want to volunteer or you want to participate? What can you offer? We're glad to have you. And that kind of, you know, um, culture and that uh, philosophy has also been embraced by our 
uh, our venue, in fact, by my coworkers and the various contractors that we work with. You know, when people come and bring their tours here, we will go above and beyond to make their experience hopefully uh, superlative because it's just so hard to get here, right? You know, it's people have to make a significant effort to come to Prince George, whether you're getting your trucks or your planes up here, if you're, you know, the various artists that may have come in by, by flights, but it's not an easy place to get to. So once you're here, we're going to do everything you can, we can to hopefully make your experience a little more extraordinary because we're very glad you're here. And that kind of uh, attitude, you know, kind of, you know, it's in our community, within our venue, but also our community. So it's been, it's been a really uh, uh, a surprising place for us to spend the, you know, almost uh, up to 30 years here. Um, it's the kind of place, so, but a lot of people have that experience. They say, we're going to come here, spend two or three years, then move on. That was our intention when we came here. And here we are almost 30 years later. And you just fell in love with it because it's so welcoming and such a community, it feels like. Yeah. And, you know, you have great experiences too. So, you know, I can tell you that recently we have had more bears in our community. There's nothing that brings neighborhoods together like bears. And this <laughs> That's the quote of the podcast. There's nothing that brings neighborhoods together like bears. <laughs> <laughs> this year, they think it's because of a lack of berries. But we have had oh. bears coming into our the city in numbers never seen before, especially in August. So, for example, we you know the other day, uh, I mean this was that was already happened, but the other day I walked our dog through this meadow, kind of a uh, forested park area, which is a ten minute walk from our our home. So for sure I'm going to see a bear. Nope, didn't see a bear. So then I came back and I'm just in front of him in the carport, kind of looking at a newspaper, and then I look up. Well, there's a bear in our backyard yes. and we've had probably 12 bear scats i've had to clean up in my yard already this year and you know you walk through the neighborhood and i can tell you how many you look around our front lawns and there's all these bear poops so we've had an extraordinary number of bears so that just makes an interesting experience living in yeah. you your toes anywhere. in the morning <laughs> yeah so so it's those kind of yeah we had we had a rock festival out here in uh, August, uh, three weeks ago, and there was a bear walking around near where we get people camping. So, you know, just trying to rock yeah, out. Yeah. He's trying yeah, to, yeah. you know, and, you know, sometimes we get moose in our parking lots and, you know, uh, <laughs> we had a I beaver, which is a very odd thing a number of years ago. So this kind of mix of, uh, you know, great world class uh, entertainment experiences in the venue, plus this interesting urban wildlife wilderness mix around our community makes it a pretty yeah. interesting place to live. You know, one thing that I wanted to definitely get into with you uh, that's, that's unique to your area is, is, you know, chuck wagon racing, uh, which you've written not one, not two, but three books and, and co-authored another one. Uh, so I'm guessing a lot of our listeners right now are saying, what exactly is chuck wagon racing? There would be a lot of your listeners, uh, especially in uh, Eastern Canada and uh, the United States. Professional truck wagon racing is unique to Canada. Uh, interestingly, there are a few, uh, you know, they dabble with it down a little bit in the States, but Canadians are the only people in the world who race truck wagons professionally. And that happens primarily in Alberta and Saskatchewan. So there are some races north in uh, Dawson Creek, which happened in August. Um, and they're used to right next to our venue here in Prince George, just, you know, 
uh, 50 feet away, there used to be a chuck wagon racetrack, but that was for uh, what they call pony wagons, which are slightly smaller horses that they use. And that racetrack was pulled up about 15 years ago. So I grew up in Calgary. And uh, of course, the Calgary Stampede is the home of the you know, the first uh, professional chuck wagon races, which happened in 1923. So this year was the 100th anniversary of chuck wagon races. And, and what is it? Back to that question. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so we have uh, four thoroughbred horses pulling a chuck wagon. And the chuck wagon is what was the mobile kitchen on the plains. So you can look these up. And uh, of course, when the first uh, trail drives started out from Texas, when they're moving all these cattle after the Civil War, how much do you want to do? You want a real history lesson on this? I do. I do. Oh, yeah. I Let's go in the audience. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, Civil War, all these men head off to war. They come back to Texas. And after the Civil War, there's about half a million Texas Longhorns just roaming wild across Texas. And they saw that if they could get these cattle up to the trailheads, the railheads, they could take these cattle and ship them to mostly the meatpacking plants in Chicago and then distribute the meat there. So there's all this basically money wandering around in Texas, but they had to get these cattle up to the markets. So that yeah. was the birth of these great trail drives that you're familiar with in movies and folklore of these cowboys trailing these hundreds to a thousand herd of head of cattle up from Texas, Oklahoma to Kansas. And then eventually they started moving the cattle up to Montana and into Canada, Alberta, Saskatchewan. But to move those cattle, they had to have these groups of men and you had to feed the men. And so they had these wagons and they became known as chuck wagons. And the reason they were called chuck wagons is because chuck was the cowboy colloquial term for food. So not because they were throwing stuff into the wagons, but the chuck was the food. There you go. That's, I never knew that. Well, and I've heard chuck referred to as like almost like ground beef too before, right? Is that the yeah. same root? Yeah. yeah. Well, like that's another term that it's used for. Yeah. But yeah. the food was, but the chuck would be beans. Uh, you know, they ate a lot of beans, uh, you know, and the, uh, biscuits and uh, molasses, and you know that'd be the food. You're gonna make the way. Dave so, start drooling here. No, right? <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. So you know, uh, you have you know three books, right? Uh, Never holler, whoa! Uh, Checkered courage, uh, the Rangeland Derby, uh, 100 years of check wagon racing. Plus, you co-authored the Icon Brand Myth, Calgary Stampede. So people that come out to the, what are you covering with this? And how how are you go about? Obviously, we live. There's so many of us that have been told, oh, you should write a book, right? Yeah. And not of all us have that, have that talent ability to do it. So number one, how did you actually get, you know, get the time and the energy and, and pull it all together? And number two, what is it about this that really spoke to you? Uh, okay, the first thing, so I started writing magazine articles. My first magazine article was published uh, when I was in university. And that kind of okay. uh, uh, sowed a seed for me to follow that interest. Uh, I like the aspect of the research, uh, meeting people, finding stories, and then creating, uh, you know, the article. You know, AI might make that, you know, make it a little quicker for some people, but I certainly enjoy the journey and process of doing that. So I uh, started doing those articles, which led to 
uh, writing some magazine articles for the Calgary Stampede programs, which led into these first books on chuck wagon racing. And then this most recent book, I knew it was going to be the 100th anniversary of chuck wagon racing in 2023. So I uh, made some inquiries and fortunately connected with the publisher who was keen on the project too. But why chuck wagon racing? It just enchants me like nothing else. Like if you've ever seen a chuck wagon race, in my opinion, um, there is nothing like it. It is unique to uh, the sports and entertainment uh, industry and unique to uh, the culture of uh, sports. And there, you know, if you stand next to the rail as these four wagons and outriders are chasing the wagons pass you, um, it, uh, you know, it kind of shakes you right through your chest and it's just unbelievably thrilling. And I saw that as a kid and for whatever reason, it, uh, growing up in Calgary, was able to go to Calgary Stampede and I've been, you know, fascinated by the, the people who do it for the rest, you know, my adult life and have just had the opportunity to meet some of these families, the men and women who do it. And they have fabulous stories, just, you know, unlike any other story that you'll be able to hear. And I've just been so privileged to help, you know, share their stories and hopefully get other people to become Chuck Wagon ambassadors as well. So it's been a, a real privilege. And it sounds like it's really stroking this nostalgia for you too. you know, growing up doing it. I'm sure when you go see races now, you're almost like calling back to when you first saw it when you were a kid and that first kind of feeling of like, I mean, you hit on a great point and obviously we have the thoroughbred industry down here in Kentucky. They're not pulling wagons, but I mean, those are big horses. And when they're running down on the track, you can feel this like thunder. Like it is so many beating hooves of these big giant, like athletic animals that it really, you know, as a kid, it, it like makes an impression on you. Cause it's this like, you know, very like, boom, 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 like deep rumble. And so I'm sure it was this like left a mark on you and, and really kind of in a great, you know, inspiring way that you kind of, you know, keep revisiting that with new books where you're remembering probably, you know, your, your impressions of it as a kid. And it's kind of, you know, stayed with you. Well, you know, exactly what's about, if you've seen those races in Kentucky, I mean, just these oh, yeah. ones add on the wagon. But the interesting thing is the Chuck Wagon Cowboys from Canada will go down to Kentucky or they go down to West Virginia or they go to Nebraska and they purchase the racehorses who are retired, who have no sure. other options to carry on because their racing, flat racing career is over. And they will take these horses that have no other option for you know what they're going to do next and they bring them back and they put them in the Chuck Wagon business and they can race for another 15 years. Yeah, that's wild, too, because it is a team of horses, you know, which is very different than like an individual horse racing. You're you really probably as a writer are having to pick these horses that complement each other, work well together. Like I'm imagining just hearing about, you know, other things where you have a team of things like, uh, you know, like sled dogs, where you often hear yep. about this camaraderie between the animals that really make the the full uh, experience, you know, like the best, I'm sure the best chuck wagon drivers, you really, you know, analyze all of that with their, with their horses too, which is probably really fascinating. So these horses, they, you're exactly right. They have to uh, put these horses in different positions to see 
you know, because they're working in team, they're not used to that type of uh, right. work pulling a wagon that they have to, you know, kind of figure it out. So, you know, they will try the horses in different positions and eventually find the spots that, you know, suit their personality the best. Glenn, you mentioned, you know, your time back in university, and, and that's kind of where you first made your, you know, foray into the live entertainment side of things. Uh, you got involved with the uh, 1988 Calgary Winter Olympics, right? That's correct. How'd, you, how'd that happen? How'd that come about? Uh, well, you know, I was kind of thinking about this, getting into this conversation. You know, I think that, uh, you know, in a group of people, when your social group, you know, as you're growing up and you're hanging out with your friends, that there's always somebody within those groups that uh, kind of coordinates some of the social gatherings or the events that people get together to do. And, sure. you know, I can probably say that was probably myself within our group to some extent. <laughs> but I think for all of us who are in the event business, you know, we probably have some of those traits, right? Like within our groups of friends, sure. we probably the are the planners. ones who are kind of you know, <laughs> saying, okay, well, maybe we should go do this or how about we go do that? And then they're just making the options for people to come together. And then that evolves into, you know, some for some people, it evolves into work in the event business. So the Calgary, uh, Calgary got the right to get the uh, Olympics when I was a teenager. And I thought from that point, uh, I wanted to be a volunteer. So I don't know why, but I thought, well, this is going to be a really neat experience. It's going to be a you know, fabulous opportunity to participate in a world uh, world event and so you know i made some initial volunteering with the western canada summer games that came along and then you know just through the journey of being a volunteer with the calgary winter olympics you know there were some pre-olympic events that you got to participate in and then uh you know when i was going to university my fourth year the final year that's when the olympics were in town so my whole, for, you know, all of us going to Calgary at that time, the Olympics were kind of this overbearing event that was coming onto the campus. So sure. in fact, they right. used the dormitories right. And, you know, we knew it was coming. So it was all, you know, part of construction, part of, you know, what the city was looking forward to. And then I just, you know, had the opportunity to be uh, a volunteer who, I, and I worked out at the Canada Olympic Park. So that's where the uh, ski jumping was the uh, bobsled so you know eddie the eagle was you know there when that was happening and the Jamaican oh, yeah. bobsled team you know we were, i was there when those situations were happening just by the track when that was taking place and they were coming down and then i uh, also got to work at the opening and closing ceremonies so participated with that and you know you know as i was reflecting on it those experiences probably set that course in life that here i am yeah. today built you know for me that really touched something that i saw how magical those moments could be for people bringing folks from all over the world you know showcasing in fact chuck wagons were in the opening ceremonies and calgary <laughs> running around the field i love that <laughs> i think that's uh, you know probably set uh, an interest that uh, has carried on for you know the rest of my life so very fortunate to be part of that from there, you went to work in kind of the, the museum industry, and including working with a 35-year-old uh, mummy. <laughs> That's correct. So, uh, you know, calling it the event business, but got into the cultural resource management aspect of it. So working in uh, a museum uh, down in Kelowna. And yes, you're right. So we had uh, one of the various exhibits there. We had uh, this Egyptian mummy 
who uh, his name was uh, Anquanefer. He was an Egyptian priest. And so we had all this public programming around him. But the kind of the funny story is that uh, my colleagues went down to, because he was down in, I think, in Washington State. So they had to pick him up. And when they were bringing him back, back across the border, the uh, customs officials asked for a death certificate. <laughs> 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 and the dude's 3,500 years old. So, you know, he was dead. No yeah. question about yeah. it. And they didn't you bring out the pamphlet, the uh, Egyptian pamphlet. <laughs> <laughs> We've got his uh, organs in these little uh, cases if you want to check. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Anyways, uh, yeah. So they eventually got him across. And uh, so that was a pretty interesting experience, you know, doing some uh, the events around, you know, this uh, and, you know, uh, we handled him, but he was very, you know, you know, right next to him as this uh, mummified person. So that was a really interesting experience. So, yeah. And then that kind of carried into an opportunity working up here in Prince George for the historic sites and then doing events out there. And then, you know, got into the uh, sports entertainment events. Yeah. How did you make that actual jump from, do you remember how, how it was? Was it a, an ad in the newspaper? How did you get the job at, at CN Center? Yeah, it's as fancy as that. It was an ad in the newspaper. And so applied for it and, you know, had, uh, I was fortunate to be offered the opportunity. But uh, then, you know, just some events working within the community. So I had some experience building events here in the north. You know, the building at that time was just over five years old. And the business at that time had been, you know, there had been some challenges. And so, you know, I was fortunate to come into it. You know, I had to learn a lot, but there was a real opportunity for the business to grow here in Prince George and to attract the type of entertainment that we eventually have. So I was fortunate, I think, in, in a couple aspects, both in terms of personally in my career and also for the venue itself, that there was just a real chance to make it grow and blossom. So, you know, obviously there's a whole side of Glenn that we haven't even touched on, which is, you know, what you do away from work. And a big part of that is, you know, I know your, your wife, Joanne, and, and your, your two daughters. Uh, yes, they are. So uh, my uh, wife, Joanne, she is a professional potter. So we have a, awesome. a studio in our basement and she creates all kinds of uh, interesting uh, things. She's very talented. So. Uh, that's kind of neat to see that happen in our family. And then uh, our two daughters are in university and one is finishing her last year here in Prince George. And she actually speaking of, you know, uh, she had a very Canadian experience. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Anne of Green Gables stories, but they are a very iconic Canadian story. Um, and, you know, around the world and the Anne of uh, Anne Shirley of Prince Edward Island is known. And my daughter was just spent this past summer working out at Prince Edward Island at the uh, Anne of Green Gables historic site, which is with Parks oh, Canada. Wow. She has red oh, hair, wow. and uh, she was uh, portraying Anne with the braids for this past oh, summer. She was so, Anne of Green Gables. She was Anne. So, you know, <laughs> that's great. As a Canadian, that's great. That makes me super proud. And then yeah. uh, our other daughter's just starting out the year of school over in Dundee, Scotland. So she's going to experience uh, going oh, to school wow, in Scotland cool. this year. So. Uh, lots of interesting experiences with our family these days. Have either of them caught the event bug or do they, are they kind of like, oh, that's dad's thing and sort of, uh, you know, don't think about it as much? Um, yeah, I think uh, if anyone could be the older one, who's just, as I mentioned, down in Prince Edward Island, I think she's kind of had some pretty interesting experiences this past 
past two summers as she's done this this job. So I think they're, you know, who knows, but I could see that. She likes organizing, likes planning. So they're looking at There you go. Well, we are, I know we, we've only scratched the surface of, of some of your legendary tales, but uh, we do need to wrap things up here before we run out of time. Before you go, I want to hit you with five quick questions. Uh, just looking for your instant uh, brief response. First up, do you remember your very first concert? Yes, it was um, Mental as Anything with Men at Work. Yes, very nice. <laughs> at, uh, at the Jubilee Auditorium in Calgary. How about you have a favorite concert from over the years? Uh, yeah, so first, like working or seeing? Either way. Uh, yeah, the, my favorite concerts have been Midnight Oil. That's a burning band. Yeah, so, sure. And then I managed to see two of their final shows last year. And, uh, you know, one in Vancouver at the Melkin Bowl, an outdoor amphitheater. Uh, you know, they're the best band in the world. Sadly, they've packed it in for now, but yeah, amazing. You never know. There's always those reunion tours. <laughs> yeah. What's your, uh, what's your favorite thing to do on a day off? Well, do it pretty regularly, but uh, walking our dog's pretty funny. We have a funny dog. So <laughs> as you know, as Paul's talking about keep looking after his dog, you have dogs are, yeah. you know, I'd like to walk the dog. In fact, but the other thing is the winter time, we live very close to a Nordic ski club. So within 10 oh, minutes, cool. I can be skiing on 60 kilometers of trails and just having this amazing uh, outdoor experience where you feel like you're in the middle of the wilderness, but it's 10 minutes from our house. That's awesome. Well, you are an author, so I feel it's only appropriate. Give us give us a good book recommendation for a book that you didn't write. Do you have a favorite book? Well, my one of my favorite books. Have you read uh, Ron Burgundy's biography? I have not, but I would be interested. <laughs> <laughs> like you got to look that up. So they made this false biography about Ron Burgundy. I forget the specific title. Oh, something at the top. Anyways, you guys can look it up. Oh, it that's is the great. funniest book. I look. I read that book and I laugh every time. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> Last question for you: What is your theme song? So there's a reality TV show where cameras follow you around all the time. What is the song that plays over the opening credits? to the Glenn Mickelson show. Okay. You know, one of the songs that uh, I like listening to, uh, you know, I mean, my theme song, but one of my favorite songs is True Ganini by Midnight Oil. There, there you go. go. Glenn, uh, if somebody wants to, uh, you know, check out your books or learn more about the CN Center, uh, give us some plugs. Where can people follow you or, or buy the books or uh, follow the CN Center? Uh, well, you can follow me on Instagram, which is, you know, so exciting, my Instagram post, but it's at, at neverhollerwoe. Uh, we've got a CN Center website, cncenter.ca. And we have, uh, you know, if you want to look up into the books, the first two are a little trickier to find, but uh, the other one, I'm not, uh, right now it's on uh, Canadian book distributors. Um, if you look on it, amazon.ca. But actually one of the best places to look for is on the World Professional Chuck Wagon Association's website. So WPCA.com. Uh, if you go on their website and you'll see shop and you can go down and you can purchase the book there. And then plus you can find out all things about uh, Chuck Wagon Racing too. Very cool. Glenn, thank you so much for taking the time to share your adventures with us. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you it's for thinking great. that my adventures are of interest. <laughs> <laughs>
Of course. That may have been the most Canadian episode yet. <laughs> I would expect nothing less, Glenn. Hey, a big thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We do love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Everyone keep an eye out for those bears in your backyard. <laughs>